This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Okay, we're back. Coming up top of the hour from The Athletic, he is Peter Baugh. Um, the Avs are in Winnipeg to take on the Jets. Second place up for grabs there. Dallas running the table in the Central right now. They've been outstanding. Kelly Rudy coming up in hour two as well from the NHL on Sportsnet and Hockey Night in Canada to talk about uh, the Calgary Flames and the return of Matthew Kachuk to Calgary as a member of the Florida Panthers. Meanwhile, speaking of goaltenders, Mike McKenna, now uh, analyst for the Daily Faceoff, uh, former NHL, AHL goaltender as well, is is here to explain why goalies don't want the pegs to come off. Uh, Mike, how are you today? I'm doing good. I'm prepared. I've got all my goalie gear on, ready to face anything that comes at me from the fans. Uh, I've got a mask on. Yeah. I feel I feel completely shielded for the, what I'm about to take. I know there's going to be a lot of heat here, Jeff, but you're right. I, I'm here to try well, to explain, and we'll do our best. Okay, so let's uh, we'll, we'll take this one step at a time here. First of all, I do want to preface something here. Um, I, one of the most scary moments I've seen in the last, I don't know, 20 years in hockey was a game between the Ottawa Senators and the Atlanta Thrashers. And Andre Pavlik was in net for Atlanta. It's an afternoon game, and his mask came off, and he slid across and stopped the shot from Alex Kovalev. Shot was a little bit high, like not up around like neck, shoulders, head, but it was in the chest. Like it was, it was high enough, Mike, that I went, oh, man, that could have been a disaster. You've done the same thing, I believe. Can you please explain? I have, um, and i got to tell you, you don't even think about it when your mask comes off as a pro goalie. You're just trying to stop the puck. It's your job. It's what you do. It happened to me, I think, in 2011, I want to say, when I was with the Albany Devils in the American Hockey League, and um, I tweeted about it yesterday. It actually has a link to the video where the puck slides from my right to the left, and my head comes in contact with a group of players in front and just pulls my helmet off. And there is an impending scoring chance. They're shooting the puck. I can't remember who we were playing against, but I make the first save. Puck goes to my left. I make a second save, and finally there's a whistle. The thing was, I'm not really sure why there was a whistle other than my mask being off. We must have gained possession, and the scoring chance ended. But, Jeff, it's terrifying, Jeff. When you look back at it afterwards, what could have happened? In the moment, you don't think about it. Um, But, you know, I've – I've seen this happen before. I remember Brett Hull for the St. Louis Blues winding up on Stefan Fisse when he was a Los Angeles Kings goaltender. And this must have been 96 or 7, I would say. And the whole arena, the old arena in St. Louis just audibly gasped because we were all terrified. And I can't remember whether Hull either let up on it or the whistle was blown, but this has got to change. We we can't be putting people in harm's way like that. I'd like to see a little bit more common sense on this issue. Well, with uh, for some historical context, we can go back even further to Brett Hull's dad, Bobby Hull, whose strategy, I mean, him and him and Makita had the wicked curves. And, you know, first mm-hmm. two shots of every game from Hull, this is in the pre-mask days of the NHL, used to always be high. So goaltenders would, you know, uh, jump up, you know, shots coming up high and would bring the goalies, you know, stick off the ice. And so for the subsequent shots, for the remainder of the game, the goalies all thought, okay, Hull's going to come high again. I got to get my gloves up. And then all the remainder of his shots would be right along the ice. And inevitably mm-hmm. it would go in. But it's just because he, he would fire a couple up high really quick and goalies figuring, I got to protect my head here. The stick would come off the ice on the other shots. He would use it as a strategy. Mike, he would use it as a strategy. So I, I, I want to get... Like there's a couple of things here, so I, I want to get to the the mask situation. I want to get to the Connor Hallibuck deal, but I also want to talk about 
the pegs. And this isn't just Matt Murray. We saw this last night, Florida and Edmonton, Spencer Knight in net for the Florida Panthers. I don't want to run this, run this clip and get you to comment on it and your thoughts on it because who rushes to Spencer Knight's defense here? Louis DeBrusque. Let's have a listen. This has been a topic of discussion as of late. Matt Murray, goaltenders putting nets off the moorings. And listen, I think in this case, he wasn't trying to get it off the mooring. He was just trying to get his his placement in the net, find where he was, and then drive across. I've got a few things I could sell you, Louie. <laughs> yeah. Hey, listen, you know what? He, you he don't had, think he, there was any? I don't. I think he came okay. back to reset his position and he didn't want to get a hard push off, and the net popped off. I don't think it was intentional. I'm going to give Ben for the doubt. Okay, so I'm guessing you're more on the Louis than Jack side of this discussion, <laughs> this this yep. this, uh, this conundrum in the NHL. Walk us through why goal because I'm on this side too. Why goaltenders do not want the pegs to come off? Well, first, great analysis from Louis DeBrusque, and I, I want to give him a really big hug uh, because most people don't believe us. Unless you're a goaltender, they don't. Unless you're a fellow goalie, no one believes us that goalies are not knocking these posts off on purpose has now has it happened previously in the nhl jeff absolutely a goalie has knocked the nut off on purpose i'm sure of that but sure. what is happening right now is that goaltending has outpaced the peg technology that holds the nets on spencer knight last night you could go back and watch him push off his post i would bet you 40 times during the game and not have the net come off He's not doing it on purpose. What happens is that when the peg gets compromised, when it sits up too high in the hole and the cavity in the ice, or if the ice is chamfered at the top, if there's got anything in there, the, the nets are coming off easy. And league-wide, there is no standard on how to put the nets on. I saw the other night in Pittsburgh that the rink guy came out with a turkey baster in a bucket. He basted, the, basted yep. the hole, and then he just moved the net over the hole. He didn't put the peg in the hole and then the net on it. So when he moved the net, he put a bunch of water down into the hole. Now the pegs float too. So what's happening here, no goalie is gaining an advantage from this. Like Spencer Knight, if Leon Dreisaitl scores that goal last night or puts it where the net was, that would have counted. There's no advantage for Knight to knock the net off there. Right. Yes. So saw this for with, me, uh, with the Maple Leafs and the, on a Giordano goal from a week and a half ago, it doesn't matter if the exactly. net's on or not. Correct. So, you know, people think it's just certain goalies. And I will say this about Matt Murray, though. He's on blast right now. Everybody knows that he's been hard on his posts. And I really do think he's going to have to adapt, unfortunately. He will, in some instances, have to think, man, I might knock it off here. The inherent problem, though, is that it's taking away from the goalie's game and how they have played. And if they don't fix the pegs, if they don't find up with a find a solution at the NHL to keep the pegs in place and not pop out, to keep them down in the hole, mm-hmm. I think we're going to see this more and more often because goalies don't just push with their feet, Jeff. They push with their upper body when they move across the crease. That's today's game. That's mm-hmm. RVH. That's post integrations. You can't put the genie back in the bottle, and these guys are 6'5 and 6'6". Six, six. The problem is no one believes us. They think we're all knocking the net off on purpose. They're calling us <laughs> cheaters and liars live on air, and it is infuriating to the goalie union. So here's the delicate dance, though. Nobody wants to go back to the days where uh, where the pegs were stiff. We all, well, 
I think a lot of people who listen to a program like this will know the story of what happened to Mark Howe, and nobody wants to go mm-hmm. back to that. And there were a lot of there were a lot of players, you know, when that when the, the stiff pegs were in there that wouldn't come out. You know, they go to the net hard, uh, crash into the net, and then they were out for the remainder of the season or however many months with shoulder injuries, broken collarbones. Take your pick. So the delicate dance here is. How do you make it safe for the players that are going hard to the net and the inevitable post-crash that may happen? Yet, how do you keep it structurally sound enough that goaltenders can play the way they're being trained to play now? Where is mm-hmm. I know we're really splitting hairs here, but like, where is that perfect middle ground that keeps players safe and allows goalies to play the new way to play? And that's exactly what we need to find. I don't want to see anybody get hurt. I've had people come at me on Twitter saying that, well, we can't have immovable nets. Everybody's going to get hurt. Okay, thanks. You know what? I, I stood at that net. I know what it takes to knock the net off. You know, I've, I've lived this, okay? Yeah. My belief is that if they can simply get the marsh pegs, the flexible yellow pegs that we see to stay in the hole and not pop vertically upward when, they're, when the goalie leans on the post, I think that's probably the best balance, but I think this is going to take research and design. I'm not an engineer. I don't know the effects and the forces necessary. There needs to be dollars put into this. NHL's a $5 billion league, and we can't figure out how to keep yeah. nets on that will stay in place with the goalies <laughs> playing how they play today and not let people get injured. I mean, my simple solution yeah. was put a magnet in the bottom of the cab, the bottom of the hole screw that magnet in and then somehow magnetize the bottom of the marsh peg. Maybe that gives us something better as a 10 second uh, idea of mine. But that to me is probably where the balance point's going to be. Because if you hit that net hard enough with a marsh peg, it's still coming off. It flexes, it moves. What we're having problems with yeah. is the goalie gets a cantilever effect up higher on the post midway through it. And that seems to be what's pushing the net upward and off. And the peg is coming out of the hole and ejecting. So as um, I'm, I'm glad you brought up the uh, the Pittsburgh situation. As one person told me on the weekend, it's a five billion dollar industry, and we treat the nets and you know uh, and put the nets in place with essentially a screwdriver and a turkey baster. That's where, yeah. <laughs> that's where, that's where yeah. we're at. Um, but I think you're right. Like I like I think that you know hockey ops uh, is having a good look at this. I think this will yep. be a point of discussion, maybe an R and D point at the next general manager's meeting. I don't think anything's going to get solved right away. Um, and but here's the problem. After what happened with Matt Murray in Pittsburgh specifically, I would not be surprised if the next time, like as you mentioned, Matt Murray's on blast, and he is. The next time that Matt Murray pushes off one of those posts and it comes off, he's getting dinged with a penalty. Mm-hmm. Rightly yeah. or wrongly, because I think that officials now after that have been finely tuned and more observant of it and i don't know if they've been encouraged i don't want to go that far i think they've been told to be more aware of when it happens and maybe who it happens to and you start to see patterns and okay why is this happening with matt murray and net against new jersey and then in net against pittsburgh i just think that officials now you know, once a once a player gets a couple of diving calls on him in, in back-to-back games or dives in a couple of back-to-back games and may not get a call, you can be pretty sure that something goes out to say, hey, pay attention, this guy may be embellishing. I wonder if the same thing is true of Matt Murray. But as I was, again, told on the weekend, 
so much of that might just be he's he's relearning this position. We've talked a lot about Matt Murray, you know, redesigning his game. And the Toronto Maple Leafs goaltending coach is Curtis Sanford, who was with Vancouver before, and that's all under the umbrella of Ian Clark, who who trains goaltenders to play this way. And how much, Mike, how much grief did Thatcher Demko get for exactly the same reasons last oh. year in Vancouver? The exact same. And I'm going to tell you, Jeff, the reason why it's happening is that I mean, listen, I've, I've done plenty of color commentary. I know how hard it is. I know what it's like to be an analyst at the NHL level. I've done that. I am that. And I don't like to beat people up, but when what's told to the audience is that the goalies are doing this on purpose, what's the narrative? Everybody out there thinks that's the case mm-hmm. because the expert is saying, well, the goalie's knocking it off on purpose. Look at him do this again. And it runs with it. Like, look at the comments and the responses last night to the video clip of Knight knocking the net off. Everybody thinks he's doing it on purpose. So that's not helpful, you know, and Demko got it hard last year. He was furious about it. Demko, I'll tell you this, it happened this year at one point, and he had a member of the ice crew yelling at him on the ice, okay? (laughs) Like, that's unacceptable. Um, So this is a problem that's, that's really, like, pervasive all throughout the league now, the perception of it, and I think Murray is absolutely going to be the first guy dinged up if he does it again. Um, which is tough because he's just trying to play his position. And that first one in New Jersey from a couple nights ago, I wrote an article about it, and I had people coming at me saying, you're making a mountain out of a molehill and blah, blah, blah. I go, no, because this is going to keep happening. And it was the very next game that Murray went three times, you know, and it's on the NHL's radar. You know, I know that they want a solution. I I hope the NHL comes up with a solution um, because, like I say, this style of goaltending, using your post and your arms to push off, it's not changing. It's here to stay because it's efficient and it works. And yep. the nets, the nets have to be improved from the 40 year old technology that they have. And we need to standardize the process on how they're put on. Uh, okay. To the other burning goalie issue. And we only have five minutes to do it. So let's see, I'll try to be economical. Um, boy, it was frightening. Um, watching Connor Hellebuck lay prone on the ice with his mask off to see the Dallas stars score that goal. I know that didn't sit well with uh, that didn't sit well with a lot of people around the NHL. That the whistle should have been blown, the double IHF standard, etc. Um, what do you think should be done here? Because I think hockey ops is going to start doing a lot of work on this. Hey, general managers, what do you want? Do you want us to call it dead right away? Do you want to keep the scoring chance hot? How do you want to handle this? Um, I talked to two managers Saturday before hockey night. Both of them said if it were up to me in a vote, uh, we would vote for immediate whistle. Uh, What do you think, Mike? Where is this discussion headed? It's hard because I want to say if there's a shot that's happening in the instant a goalie's mask comes off and the puck goes in the net, I want it to count. But in a play like Mm -hmm. against Hellebuck and Dallas, Dallas made two passes before the puck ended up in the back of the net while Hellebuck is laying prone on the ice with his helmet off. And I didn't like that. I thought that there was too much time between him being potentially injured or at least losing his mask and the shot going in. And that makes me really nervous. Now, here's the counter argument is that all oh, goalies are just going to shake their helmets off every chance they get to get a whistle. You know what? That happens now because the buckle technology on the masks is outdated and doesn't work. You want another area where the NHL needs to spend some money? They need to come up with standard buckles for goalie masks that will not come off when a puck impacts it and can still be safe for the goalie. Then you don't have to worry about that in the first place. Now, if the mask does come off during the course of play, somehow it gets ripped off, it's in a scrum or whatever, 
I think the play needs to be blown dead because, again, if you fix the buckle strap in the first place, there's not really an excuse for it. It would take something really drastic like this occurrence with Hellebuck for a mask to come off in the first place. So I think we need to try to keep the masks on the head first. But second, if there's a degree of separation between the initial chance and the puck going in, like we saw in Dallas, that's too much time frame for me. If the puck goes in while it's happening and a helmet comes off, I think we have to kind of live with that just because of the timing of it. But any degree of separation for me just is not safe for goaltenders, and I feel for Hellebuck with this. Yeah. My my only concern about making it a, a time issue, like, okay, one steamboat, two steamboats, three mm-hmm. steamboats, you got to blow this thing, is does that mean then we have to have video review for how long it actually took? Oh, and start don't open up that can of worms. Coaching challenges. <laughs> no, you know where it's coming. Colin, listen, yep. Colin Campbell uh, always talks about this. You make one rule of thinking you're solving a problem, and then you just make a whole, look at the Matt DeShane offside. Look what the Matt DeShane offside has done uh, to the NHL and, and, and blue line reviews and coaches' challenges. That's the only thing that I'm concerned about. If you make it a time issue, like if they don't score within five seconds, does that become reviewable, and does that, does that become a coach's challenge? Oh, we timed it. It's actually six seconds it should get i can only say if you want to talk about it's not a game of inches it's a game of pixels and then it's a game of <laughs> seconds and milliseconds and oh geez mike i don't know about making it about time man uh, i know it's judgment judgment calls are hard you know the one judgment call i wish referees could have and i know they never will i wish they could make a judgment call on whether a player puts the puck out of the ballpark on purpose or not for the you know, for the delay a game penalty. But that's just not going to ever happen because yeah. you can't tell intent. It's impossible to do that. It's. Uh, I always wonder about that one too because I think a lot of that is affected by ice quality and a clearing pass mm-hmm. off the glass or an exit off the glass early in a period, you know, with the, uh, with the ice is as pristine as possible. I and mean, you know what the ice is like in the last five minutes and you try to fire one off the glass and oops, it's up in the season ticket holder's laps. Yeah. That's the other thing. Five good sandpaper. To how much ice quality affects it. So yeah, exactly. Uh, okay, so we've solved everything. This is great. So we need uh, new peg technology and buckle technology. So we'll hand that over to NHL Hockey Ops. Uh, I know you have a busy day. Thanks for parking some time today with me, Mike. Always, always appreciate. Yeah, anytime. Thanks for having me on, Jeff. It was fun to talk. It. I hope people believe me. I promise, I'm not lying. <laughs> Trust trust your friendly neighborhood goaltenders, everybody. There's Mike McKenna from Daily Faceoff, uh, former NHL and AHL goaltender. Uh, we're going to hit a break, take a little pause here. When we come back, we'll talk to Kelly Rudy, speaking of goaltenders, uh, from Hockey Night in Canada and the NHL on Sportsnet. I, I will ask Kelly about some of these goaltending issues that have, that have pardon the pun, popped up uh, around the league. But also we'll talk plenty about the Calgary Flames and Matthew Kachuk making his return to Calgary. Don't forget when, like there was a time where Matthew Kachuk, when Mark Giordano was the captain of the Calgary Flames, there was very much talk about how the next captain of the Calgary Flames was going to be Matthew Kachuk. Not only did he not become the next captain of the Calgary Flames, he became an ex-Calgary Flame. And we'll talk about what tonight's return to Calgary will mean for the Flames, their fans, Matthew Kachuk. In the meantime, we get on the Colorado Avalanche page. Peter Baugh from The Athletic. It is the Avs and the the, uh, the Winnipeg Jets, perhaps the most intriguing matchup on the board tonight. And there's some beauties this evening, folks. Peter Baugh, Kelly Rudy, Hour 2 on the horizon. Merrick Show continues across the Sportsnet Radio Network simulcast on Sportsnet Now and Sportsnet 360. Keep it here. 
everything Raptors before and after the games. The Raptor Show with Will Liu. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. So a couple of really interesting games tonight on the uh, NHL docket. Uh, Seattle Kraken and the Los Angeles Kings, second and third in the Pacific, uh, up for grabs there. The Washington Capitals facing off against the Vancouver Canucks. We all know what's happening with Vancouver. And uh, how do you not cheer for Bruce Boudreaux? Uh, We've made that point countless times here. One point away from a wild card spot. What? Um... And there's also the Winnipeg Jets and the Colorado Avalanche. And that's where we'll bring in our next guest. He is Peter Baugh from The Athletic and the author of Force of Nature. And I believe, Peter, as I bring you aboard here, uh, you can pre-order the book now, correct? Yeah, it's actually today it is officially released, so you can just order it. It won't be a pre-order anymore. Oh, well, congr- the congratulations. I've seen some uh, some congratulatory notes coming in already. Uh, I had a chance to, to read this in the offseason, and it is a, uh, it's a really intriguing book, man. I know we talked about it last time you came on, but this is I love the, the story behind the story and how you put a team together and the stories along the way. It's a, it's a marvelous read. This, one's, this one is a really good look at that Avalanche team that went on to win the Stanley Cup last season. So uh, we hope the sales are healthy for you, Peter. We hope the sales uh, are healthy. Um, speaking of health... How's the Avalanche's health these days, whether it's uh, Bo Byram, whether it's uh, Rodriguez? What's what's the update with the health? So, uh, in short, they, they have a lot of guys out. But they, it doesn't appear that any of these injuries are super, super long-term. Um, nothing season jeopardizing for any of these guys. Um, right. So, Valerian Nachushkin, he's out but should resume skating this week. Darren Helm and Bowen Byram aren't making the trip, but they're skating in Denver this week with the skills coach. Um, Evan Rodriguez, I think, was two to four weeks. And then Gabriel Landeskog is still uh, recovering from his knee surgery, and it looks like probably early 2023 in the calendar year when, when he'll get back. So they're definitely battling some some injuries right now. I think half of their top six, and then obviously a really good defenseman in Byram plus some depth forwards are are all out, so it's it's a, a bit of a struggle, but they're they're managing to play well, and um, obviously when you have Nathan McKinnon, Kale McCarr, and a goalie who's playing well, it makes makes life easier. So they're they're hanging in there. So this would then go a long way to explain the signing of uh, Alexander Galchenyuk yesterday. <laughs> yeah, so they they brought him in uh, in training camp on a on a PTO, uh, just kind of to to give him a look, see how how he would fit in with the team and they liked what they saw from him as a team. Um, but he got hurt, um, pretty early into camp. Uh, I think he played one preseason game. And so the abs, uh, kind of released him from his PTO, but they kind of remained in touch with his camp about maybe bringing him along when, when he re- regained health and, and he, he signed another PTO, uh, when he got healthy with the AHL club played down there a bit, had seven points in seven games and, and now is back up. I, I know they, they are hopeful that he's kind of been working on the defensive side of his game. They think that um, is one area. Maybe he'll show some improvement. Um, and and they know he's a guy who can put the puck in the net. And this is a team that has relied a lot on its top line and to to score. And they kind of need some 
some depth scoring. So I think they're hoping that, that he can help provide that. Um, and, and we'll also see a debut tonight with Jean-Luc Foodie, who uh, was, I think, a 2020 third-round pick whose brother Liam plays for, for Columbus and is a really good fast skater and kind of an interesting prospect who's oh, gotten yeah. off to a really good start. The- both boys. I mean, mom was a mom was a track star. She uh, she competed yeah. for Canada at the Olympics. Uh, Dad, I want to say played football. Correct. Yes. Um, uh, absolutely. So, and, and I know that Liam had set. I know in Ontario, uh, a lot of track and field uh, records uh, as well. Like these are these are speedy kids. Uh, they grew up. I yeah. know that Liam played for the Markham Majors. I'm not sure where Jean Luc played. He may have played majors as well. But anyway, like these are like these are athletic kids. Like they've grown up in an athletic household, athletic parents. The premium's always been on on health, but they're not. Like they, I don't think they they were both the um the twenty four seven hockey kids. I think the foodies were always hockey and track and field, both of them. And obviously, hockey takes over after a while. But this was like very much um, a a, a multi sport family. Yeah, yeah, and your dad, the dad played in the CFL. I think you mentioned, and um, yeah, really athletic family. And so, so this should be a fun debut to watch. I'm not sure if he's ready to be a full time NHL guy, but I think now that the Avs have so many injuries, they're kind of taking the chance to look at, give some young guys a chance to see what they can do in the NHL. They gave Oscar Olison their first round pick from 2020, a call up a few days ago and um, kind of had some yeah. limited ice time, but, but they're, they're getting a look at some of these guys. What are they doing with Olison? I'm curious about that. Yeah. So I, I think he's, he's down with the Eagles. Um, they, I think they want him playing a, a lot. They don't want him up with the, even with the injuries, they don't want him up kind of playing like six, seven minutes a game. Um, I think Jared Bednar kind of described him as someone who they think has a really high ceiling, um, but maybe isn't ready yet to be a consistent NHL player. So they wanted to give him a look. They've been really happy with kind of some of the, the work he's been putting in in Loveland. They, they almost viewed it kind of as a, as a reward to an extent for the work that he's, he's been doing, that he's been kind of following the coaching he's gotten, working on his game away from the puck, stuff like that. Um, and so he got, he got a chance. I, my understanding was he would have had to really, really impress in his debut to kind of stay up longer term. Um, but he right. got, a, got some, some ice time, and now he's back with the Eagles where he'll get kind of some more more playing time and, and a more consistent role. But, but they, they like him, and, and we'll kind of see how, how his path goes. Obviously, this is a team that's a contender and is going to want players to help them this year. So he could hear his name in trade talks. We'll see. I, I don't think the team is obviously like actively chopping him or anything like that, but we'll see kind of what, what comes around when, when the deadline rolls around. This is a team that's going to want to get better whatever way they can. Yeah, where and you know injuries are a, a huge factor as well. One, one thing that we all wondered about, and the one thing we learned about, or one of the things we learned about the Avalanche last year is, you know, they don't need the elite level netminder to win the Stanley Cup, um, but they're getting some outstanding netminding right now from from Georgiev, Alexander Georgiev, who's been, uh, you know, I think last time you and I talked about him, the feeling was that in sort of stops and starts with his, you know, career with the New York Rangers playing behind Shesterkin, it didn't allow him to get in any kind of a groove, and he was going to see a lot of games with the Avalanche, and when he starts to get in a groove like that, you tend to see better performance. 934 save percentage. What, uh, what do you make of the uh, the new number one in Colorado, Alexander Georgiev? 
Yeah, he's been he's been awesome. I mean, obviously the Avs traded for him to to be their starter, but there was kind of the question lingering over the team of could Pavel Frenzos make a push? And uh, after he had some big yeah. games in the playoffs, like like who's the actual number one going to be when it's all said and done? And Georgiev's kind of answered that question pretty pretty loudly. <laughs> like he's he's taken the reins and he's been he's been awesome. He's bailed the mountain some games. He's um, made some big saves. I think he's two and zero in shootouts, including one really fun one against Shesterkin that he it clearly meant a lot to him. Oh, yeah. He was really excited after oh, yeah. that game. Um, that was an excellent hockey game. So he's he's looking like a a really good savvy move by Joe Sakic and Chris McFarland. I mean, they essentially got him for two million dollars cheaper than what Dar- Darcy Kemper got in Washington, which gave them space to to make a move like signing Rodriguez and gave him a little more flexibility. And now it's looking like Georgiev might be kind of the goaltender. He definitely always thought he was like he, he this is a very one thing I've learned about him just from being around him is he's very confident like he he really thought that um, he could be a starter in this league and so far it's been about as good as the Avs could have asked for he's been one of the best goalies in the NHL you know you mentioned trade deadline a couple of seconds ago when we were talking about Oscar Olison uh, with the Avs and you know the, the the one name that I think people are wondering about and again you know winning could you know just change everything or you know a contract signing could just change everything in a, in a second um, but if things continue uh, with the Vancouver Canucks and Bo Horvat you know knowing what you know Colorado will probably go looking for at trade deadline, second line center. I know that, you know, Jonathan Taves' name is very much out there. Um, I would imagine Bo Horvat's name would be out there as trade deadline approaches later in March if he's not re-signed by the Vancouver Canucks. Are we starting to, you know, starting to identify who some of the the players that that, uh, Colorado could go after here? come trade deadline in March? I know we're getting way ahead of ourselves here, but why not? It's a Tuesday and we're talking about hockey. What do you think? Oh, yeah, I love – I trade. it's never too early for trade deadline talk. I think uh, <laughs> I, it, this is a this is a front office that, that keeps its cards close to the vest. They're not going to, I guess, like leak who they're, who they're looking at and all, all that stuff. But I, I do think that you're at, you've identified their need. They, they are going to need another forward who can play ideally in the top six. Um, and it's interesting. I think the Horvat situation reminds me a little bit of like around this time last year, I was very much like if the abs are going to get a top six forward, they should be looking at Joe Pavelski. Dallas wasn't looking too hot. Um, like, and then Dallas ended up making yeah. the playoffs. Pavelski was never on the market. He signed an extension, all that. So we could see the exact same thing with Horvat, where if the Canucks keep rattling off wins, like they have been lately, um, they're all of a sudden in the playoffs and aren't going to want to trade Horvat. But if he is available, I mean, he would be an awesome fit for Colorado. He's really good at face-offs, which is one area of the of yep. hockey that the Avs aren't good at. Um, he's he's a really good offensive player, and I mean, I think that if you rolled out a second line in the playoffs of Landeskog, Horvat, Nachushkin, uh, that would scare a lot of teams, and then you'd still have your top line of Lekkinen, McKinnon, Rantanen. Um, so I, I think it would. In an ideal world, I think it would it would be a, a great fit for Colorado, but it's just it's hard to see if that's going to happen. You know that that scenario, like it, it, a couple of things here, like if they haven't re-signed Hor- Horvat yet, they're winning and they're in a playoff position. Do they completely risk losing Bo Horvat for nothing and just hang on to them, or 
do they make a decision that will certainly you know upset the the fan base if they're in a playoff position and trade them saying look we need to if we're going to let someone like Bo Horvat go on July 1st we need to see some assets coming back here like that to me again I, we talk a lot about Horvat here on this show Peter and I I I see this one as one of the most intriguing stories around the league and now you see what Rupe Hins just signed for and you think, okay, so what is that going to mean for the next contract for Dylan Larkin? What's that mean for the next contract for Bo Horvat? Um, it's in, it's it's intriguing. I like guess it's going to be a fascinating marketplace that a lot of GMs are going to deal with come trade deadline time because so much uh, is still very much up in the air. Okay, Nathan McKinnon, his business has been taken care of. Uh, and the new contract kicks in next season. Uh, the production is there by way of points. Uh, should we cons- be concerned that under G for goals, we only see the number six? I would not uh, be too concerned. He's had some, um, he's been excellent this year. I think like, I remember, especially in those, the two games they played in Finland, it was like he was just dominating in every area and maybe it, he wasn't getting goals. Uh, but he's he's been robbed a few times by goalies, and I actually think I don't have the numbers in front of me. But last season he got off to a really slow start in terms of goals, and I think he ended up right around the thirty mark. So I'm sure he'll have a couple games where he scores a few, and then that total start to look a little more normal. But the point production is there; he's looked really good, and that line has scored a lot of goals, right? And I think has has thirteen and is among the league leaders, and Lackanen's contributed, and so so they're getting scoring from that line and I, I wouldn't be too concerned about Nathan McKinnon's goal scoring production because he he looks really good so far we we know that the um the avalanche have a lot of rivals and when you win the Stanley Cup everybody is your rival and everyone comes gunning for you but there is something special this season uh about Dallas Colorado games uh high skill high intensity and tough like really, like as a combination of like new school skill and old skill toughness, uh, is this your favorite matchup for the Avalanche right now? Like when you take off the, you know, the the journalist hat, take off the reporter hat, and just say, "I want to watch a good Colorado game." Are you watching Colorado Dallas? Yeah, I, those those have been really fun. The both of the games they were just this past week, and they were both really fun hockey games to watch intense some some chippiness some i think both game had both games had fights that's up there i'm sad i the abs had two games against carolina in the span of a week one home one on the road and both of those games were really fun uh so i'm i i think they're done with them for the year but i'm sad that um that those are over but yeah dallas is has been one of the most fun matchups i've i've seen so far this year it's a divisional matchup and it's kind of funny how i mean dallas the, the the central division is really kind of a, I mean, Winnipeg's off to a really good start and we'll see them tonight again. And um, the, it, it's, it's funny that maybe some of the, the second and third best teams from last year's central division, the blues and the wild, are still kind of sorting things out. Um, so that's kind of opened the door for teams like Dallas and Winnipeg to, to get off to good starts. And it's been fun to watch the Avs play all those teams. Yeah, it really has. Okay, let's finish up then with the with tonight's matchup. It's one that uh, that we circled um, at the beginning of the week, and here we are. It is two versus three, and you know Winnipeg, you know by way of percentage, is certainly doing a job in the uh, in the central. How do you handicap this one? Like you look at tonight's matchup, Peter, and what goes through your mind right away? Yeah, well, it's it's interesting because the ads are so banged up that it's 
uh, I kind of have been going into a lot of games and have been thinking like, oh, well, the abs are banged up. This, this might not be their night. And then they, they end up squeaking out, yeah. out a win. So it's, it's hard to, hard to know for sure. But I, I do think that the first game with Winnipeg was a really good game. It went to overtime. Winnipeg won in overtime. The abs were, they were actually really frustrated after that game. They, they didn't like how they played. They, they thought that they, they should have won that game. The penalty kill, I believe, was struggling at that point. Um, so I think they'll, they'll come out hungry, but I, I think Winnipeg's a, a tough home crowd. Like it's a, a place for that, that's hard for players to, to play in. So I, I'm bad. I'm terrible at predictions, but I think it, I, I'd like to think it'll be a fun game. I'm excited yeah. to. I'm actually uh, sadly not on this trip, but I'm, I'm excited to watch and follow along and see um, kind of how it all goes down. Should be a good one. Uh, Peter, uh, again, Force of Nature teed up. Where can people get it? How can they order it? Yeah, well, in Canada, I believe it's, uh, it's on Amazon Canada's website. It's at uh, Indigo or Chapters or uh, what, that, that store. I'm not um, completely yep. familiar with what the official name is. Um, and then, yeah, if you're in the U.S., it's, it's on it, um, kind of various different uh, bookstores in Denver and then Amazon and then Triumph Books is the publisher, so you can find it there. Outstanding. Uh, Force of Nature is the name of the book. It's a really cool behind-the-scenes look at the, the making of the team uh, that won the Stanley Cup last season. Really great stuff, as always, Peter. We'll check back regular. Thanks, pal. Enjoy the game tonight. It is the Avs and the Winnipeg Jets. We'll chat with you soon, buddy. Great to hear from you, Jeff. Take care. There is uh, Peter Baugh uh, from The Athletic, covers the Colorado Avalanche, which over the past couple of seasons obviously has been a really fun beat to cover. Uh, you win the Stanley Cup and all. Also, uh, as mentioned, the author of Force of Nature, uh, behind-the-scenes look at how that team was put together. Uh, Kelly Rudy coming up at the bottom of the hour. We'll talk about Matthew Kachuk's return to Calgary. That's uh, one of another, you know, uh, that's another intriguing game on the board this evening around the league. Uh, in the meantime, let's bring in uh, Matt Marchese here for a couple more moments uh, to get us to the bottom. And uh, there's a couple of interesting things that uh, have been said here. I, I really enjoyed, well, I always like hearing, you know, Peter talk about the Colorado Avalanche, uh, but I really enjoyed hearing Mike McKenna defend the goalie union and make the point that goalies don't want the pegs to come off. And I listen, I agree with them. Like goaltenders have profoundly changed the way that they play. Um, and it's not going to change at all. Like it's, it's here to stay. This is how goalies play now. And it puts a lot of duress on the marsh pegs, which we've had in existence now for 35, 40 years and it's to the point now, and Spencer Knight last night, and Matt Murray before, and Tristan Jari, and we've, we've seen a number of goaltenders this happen to. Thatcher Demko last year, that what it cost him a game, the Avalanche game. Uh, he got dinged on uh, on delay of game, and Colorado ended up scoring on the power play and ended up winning the game. Um, it's coming under scrutiny more, and I think it's probably going to be brought up at the general manager's game, and I wouldn't be surprised at all, general manager's meeting, and I wouldn't be surprised at all if somewhere down the road, sooner than later, you know, there's a conversation about how do we improve the technology of these marsh pegs, as they're called, Maddie. Firstly, I would like to see a GM game. I think that would be a lot of fun. Um, but secondly, with, would as win it pertains... That? I've always, I I've always wondered, I've I always wondered know. like who, you, you know, what we're gonna do. Here's what here's what you and I are gonna do on the air tomorrow. Okay. Let's give us let's do top three skill like just by way of managers, okay? Like front office staff, who's got the most skilled front office staff, and who has the toughest 
front office Ooh. staff. How about that? Most skilled like and it. toughest for tomorrow's show. All right, let's I do like that. it. Anyway, okay. we were saying. Um, it just it, it, the point the point that Mike made, and and you made it as well. Like the NHL's made a lot of money, and they're continuing to make a lot of money. How they haven't really figured out a system for this in. And, and nothing's going to be perfect, but something maybe a little bit better. The fact that they haven't figured yeah. this out in the, 35, 40 years, is, it's kind of bizarre, to be honest with you. Well, the thing is, I'll, I'll, I'll jump in on this one. It wasn't until you know recently that they've had to even look at changing it because for the longest time... You know, the Marsh Pegs came along and, okay, we've solved this problem. Let's just move on. And it was fine with the, the drill and the turkey baster for the water. And it might have looked awkward at times. I get it. But still, like, it was working and it was fine. Would a net come off here and there? Sure. But not the way now. Like, goalies are, 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 are playing like this and they're going to continue. And they're big. Right, these are all like six foot four, six foot five, six foot six guys that are like 250, 220 pounds that are slamming post to post, that are pushing off using their posts. They're go, they're pushing off to go up. They're pushing off to go to the side. And right now, the goalie nets are really not accommodating them well. That's what we saw in Pittsburgh. That's what we saw last night in the Edmonton, Florida game. That's what we've seen. You know, last year I mentioned the, the Thatcher Demko situation. Like it's starting to happen more and more. So you can either just say, well, we'll just, you know, th- throw minor penalties at, at goaltenders. We we assume they're they're taking the nets off. I don't think they are. I think this is just the nature of how they're playing the game right now. And now the nets have to accommodate the new way to play net, the new way to play goal, rather. Well, and and so I guess my my question from that is, if they can't come up with a solution and there's a crackdown on delay of game penalties or whatever, does the goalie fraternity need to figure out a different way to play the position? I don't think it's going to get to that let extreme. Me think, let me, but do you think it's possible? Okay. That you know what that's like. Uh, so I thought of, I thought about that this morning too. And you know what I thought about? It's like telling a player you're skating too fast is getting too dangerous. Yeah. You're not going to tell a goaltender that he can't push off the post hard because the Nets can't accommodate it. That's the way the position is played. You know, up front, this thing is pay, played at a breakneck speed, and right now the way the goaltending position is played is strong push-offs off the post. It's just the way it is, right? Reverse VH changed everything. Now the goal is not to, you know, say like throw your hands up in the air and say, well, there's, you know, we've, we've done nothing about it and we're all out of ideas, now it's up to you know hockey R and D to come up with different ideas here, so we're not in the situation where we say, "What do we do about all the nets coming off the moorings?" Yeah, I mean that, that's that's the thing that makes the most sense to me. They they do need to figure it out because I'm there. I know they want an increase in in goal scoring, but you also don't want goalies that can't play the position properly. Like there has to be a balance here, and I like the point that that you yeah. and Mike made about there's no benefit for these goalies to knock the net off its moorings. There's none because if the puck none. still goes in across the line within the two pegs, guess what? It's still a goal, yeah. which is so ridiculous to watch. Like that Mark Giordano thing was, it felt like street hockey. No, the net was there <laughs> and then it wasn't. So that goal has to count. Yeah. It was just such a bizarre thing no. to watch, but I get it. Now, I, 
I, I will take exception with, with the one point about goaltenders not wanting the nets to come off. Like sometimes in order to like if your if your penalty killers are bagged, right? Or if five on five you get caved sure. in, it's the second sure. period, you got the long change and you're getting caved in in your own zone and the net comes off, oops. Yeah, in that situation, you know, the goalie probably does want the net to come off. And I think in that situation, if you're an official, you look at that and say, okay, that's where you're going to get dinged. But a lot of these situations aren't that situation. They're just coming off when goalies push off too hard. And just like you're not going to tell a skater to, you know, you're skating too fast, you're not really going to tell a goaltender you're pushing off too hard, are you? And that you have to push off softer and, you know, get over there slower because we don't want the nets coming off. I don't think that's going to happen. No, I don't think so. <laughs> um, I know we have to take a break in a sec here. Do you want to get to that Chris Cuthbert clip from last night? Oh, man, this is the best. This is the best. So Chris Cuthbert last night didn't get a chance to uh, to watch the game and, and listen to CeCe. He had a beauty. Now, it's kind of a groaner. It's all right. You know, maybe just because I'm, I'm in my dad years that I like, you know, dad jokes. And I really, you know, chuckled, you know, to myself watching this game in my office with my dog last night. This is uh, Chris Cuthbert <laughs> commenting on a Red Wings goal assisted by Moritz Sider. Take it away, CeCe. So it's the third of the year for Ernie, his first in 14. An apple for cider. <laughs> Very nice. Sherratt. You've been waiting to use that, haven't you? You've had that in your bag a while, haven't you? I think some people are hoping I <laughs> left it in the bag. Come so on, Maddie, an apple for it's, cider. It's so good. I'm just a it's simple so guy. Like really, like don't 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 think all these books behind me. Like, like uh, I'm a really really simple person, and things like that tickle me under the chin, and I giggle. Like I had a good laugh, <laughs> I had a good laugh watching that last night. And Galley comes in right away. Like, Oof! How long have you been saving that one? <laughs> I'm not gonna lie. I do appreciate good dad jokes too, and that was right up there. So I so Chris Cuthbert. If any if if no one else appreciates you, Jeff and I certainly do. <laughs> Well, the thing about it, oh, listen, everybody appreciates CeCe. I mean, he had the great, you know, the golden goals, Sidney Crosby, Vancouver, which is one of the most iconic calls in the uh, in the history of hockey. You know, there's the uh, there's the, the Henderson call by Foster uh, in 72, Al Michaels, uh, Miracle on Ice. But, you know, it's all right. It's okay to mix it up and just go for the uh, something with a dad joke vibe around it or a cute little maybe a pun every now and then, which... Um, you know, which uh, which I always appreciate as well. I don't know. I just I just laughed, bud. And the more that I think about it, like it's one of those things where the more you think about it, the more you hear it. Like I don't know about you, but the louder I laugh. Like I just heard it there, and inside I'm just like bursting. Like seriously, it's hilarious. Just knowing that CC knew he was going to get the groans. Loved it. Well, and and not and not only that. I mean, listen. Let's let's not take ourselves too seriously here. Like let let's be able to have a little bit of fun yeah. every once in a while. I mean we're not cracking the atom here. We're not. We're not trying. To, uh, no. Uh, land it. Not trying to land another astronaut on the moon here. We're not. No. We're not doing any of that. Did that actually happen? Uh, allegedly. I think it happened in Sudbury where I was this past weekend. <laughs> you know, my wife always. Uh, my my wife always jokes to me like, to, uh, you know, to take the piss out of me. She'll always say, you know, just remember, Jeff. Um, you don't do anything. All you do is talk about things that other people did. And damn it, she's right. 
Yeah. Uh, welcome to the job of being a broadcaster. You don't actually do anything, Jeff. You just talk about things that other people did. Now, run along. Run along. I'm very busy. Uh, okay, we're going to run along. Uh, had a quick little break here. We're going to come back and talk to Kelly Rudy. It is Matthew Kachuk's return to Calgary tonight as the Florida Panthers, who dropped a tough one last night to the Oilers, face off against the Calgary Flames this evening. And yes, that means Matthew Kachuk is back in Calgary. Kelly Rudy comments on that, and we'll get into some more goalie issues with uh, Kelly as well. Always interested in his opinion, whether it's the masks, whether it's the pegs, all of it up for grabs as Kelly Rudy from Hockey Night in Canada joins me next. The Merrick Show continues across the Sportsnet radio network, simulcast on Sportsnet 360. Keep it here. The most opinionated Maple Leaf show out there. Real Kipper and Born. Be sure to subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Welcome back to the program. I want to thank Peter Ball for stopping by, talking about the Avalanche facing off against the Winnipeg Jets. Uh, the one of uh, the really marquee matchups around the NHL this evening. And, you know, we talk about you know, the Washington Capitals facing off against the Vancouver Canucks. The intrigue there as Vancouver tries to hunt down a playoff spot. Seattle and L.A., 2-3 and three in the Pacific. Now, that's going to be a doozy tonight, that one at uh, 10.30 Eastern. Uh, before all this, though, it is the Calgary Flames facing off against the Florida Panthers, and that means the return of Matthew Kachuk to Calgary. Uh, here for comments on this and a couple of other things, mainly involving goaltenders, pegs, and masks, is the one and only Kelly Rudy, star of Hockey Night in Canada and the NHL on Sportsnet. Kelly, how are you today? Well, I'm, uh, I'm going to hesitate in my answer, Jeff, because I'm trying to find out ways to control my uh, energy and my enthusiasm today because I'm so excited to go down to the Scotiabank Saddle Dome and watch the game. I mean, as a color analyst, most games there's a, a level of excitement uh, before and a little bit of nervousness, but there's more so for tonight's game just because of the return of uh, Kachuk to Calgary. You know, I was making the point, Kelly, before you came on that, you know, once upon a time, and you know this better than me, uh, when Mark Giordano was the captain of the Calgary Flames, there was all the speculation, oh, the next captain's going to be Matthew Kachuk, groomed for this, this is going to be his next big spot uh, in the NHL. Not only did he not become captain, he became a member of the Florida Panthers. When uh, Before I ask you about the fans tonight, when you look back on Matthew Kachuk as a Calgary Flame, uh, we saw some growing pain through suspensions, um, you know, situations with various members of the Edmonton Oilers, um, and some elite-level production as well, being part of the best line in hockey last season, for example. When you look back at Kachuk as a Flame, how do you see him? He had a brilliant career with Calgary. Um, and, uh, you know, as you mentioned, a couple of growing pains early, but uh, what player doesn't have those? Uh, and, by the way, those growing pains were out of uh, uh, qualities, not faults. He, he just wanted to win so badly and yep. willing to do anything for that. But I, I, I think if you were just to overall analyze his career or his time here in Calgary, it was brilliant. He did everything asked of him. Uh, he wanted to be better and better all the time, and, and uh, he was willing to sacrifice anything for winning. And I think that that can't be overlooked. Um, now, I, I'm sure fans are mad at him and, and, or disappointed, whatever term you want to use, by requesting a trade, but the player does have that right. And uh, I'm sure it made for a miserable summer for Brad Tree Living to uh, have that trade request and also to lose Johnny Goodrow. But nonetheless, um, players have those rights. Yeah. 
Uh, they do, and those rights are earned. And listen, Matthew yep. Kachuk, and we, we talked all last season about, oh, we just take the qualifier and you know walk away after a year, etc. Um, it became a model, I think, that... Uh, to be honest with you, Kelly, I think what happened to Matthew Kachuk last season scared a lot of GMs in the league and said, we don't want this to happen to us. Would you agree with that? I guess. No kidding. I, I know that I'm sure a number of general managers are like, Okay, uh, I am now on high alert because, as you mentioned, I don't want that to happen to my organization, and I better be proactive here. And and yeah. <clears throat> unfortunately, it may cause a fan base or two to lose a, a really good player and a popular player, but that's just the fact right now. Yeah, I, I wonder about San Jose with Timo Meyer in the uh, in an almost identical situation yep. right now. But that's for another conversation. So, how do the fan? I mean, fans are listen. You you pay your t- you know you pay your money. You buy the ticket. Yep. You, you get into the building. Uh, as long as you're not you know abusive or throwing things or you know say sure. something. I mean, you, you, air your voice, air your grievances. What do you expect the Flames fans to do with Kachuk tonight? Well, I don't think they'll be all that happy if, if I could guess. Um, I'm sure they're going to let, let him know that they're uh, <clears throat> about their displeasure. H- having said that, uh, I do think at the bottom of it, most Flames fans do appreciate what he brought to, for his time when he was here. I it, that would be hard to deny, right? Because for all the reasons I suggest, he was he uh, he was a tremendous player. Uh, he loved the city. There's no doubt about that. Uh, I personally, <clears throat> I really enjoyed my time with uh, Matthew. We had some really cool conversations. I found him to be very insightful and and just study such a student of the game. Like he studied everything about the game and he knew the history. And I can't yeah. say that about a lot of players. I'm not trying to be dismissive towards anybody, but not a lot of players in today's game know a lot of the history of the game and the city they play in and and so on so that was very refreshing for me as an analyst to to be around him and have some some of those conversations uh to the calgary flames and a quarter of the way in uh, are they what you expected less than you expected more than you expected how do you you know how do you how do you sort of you know look at the calgary flames through through your eyes as someone that's seen a lot of versions yeah. of the calgary flames I think it's safe to say, and Cassie Campbell-Pascal touched on it on the show last night, uh, that they are, I don't know if she said the word, but I will, underachieving. Uh, They're not far off, but I have noticed in some games where they have been just excellent. They've been close to the level that they were last year. Uh, They just, for whatever reason, can't string three periods together in the same game, and and that's been killing them. I, I go back to that road trip that I was on, with them uh i we did games on long island new jersey and in boston Mm -hmm. and all three games i thought they were really really good as close to last year as i've seen all season long yet they only got one point on that trip and that's kind of how their season has gone so i certainly uh wouldn't be giving up on them they can play better and they need somebody or a few people to start to shine and play to the level that they can Right. Um, okay. Uh, I want to make sure that I, I parked a little bit of a time, a little bit of time here today with you to talk about yep. goaltending issues, and there yep. there are, there are two big ones here. So um, I want to get to the pegs in a second, uh, but before that, I want to talk about the Connor Hellebuck situation from last week, uh, which was a big point of conversation over the weekend and still continues to be. 
Uh, namely, what do we do in a situation? I think hockey ops is all over this right now. And, you know, talking to general managers and trying to get a feel of what everyone thinks and what should be done about it and, you know, put it on the agenda for the manager's meeting in, in March. Um, your thoughts on what we saw with Connor Hallibuck and, and do you, are you in favor as a, as a goaltender yourself of having that play immediately blown down or if there's a scoring chance in progress, let it exhaust itself? I would go with the latter. I would say let it exhaust itself. Having said that, you know, watching that with uh, Hellebuck, it was <clears throat> it looks ugly, right? <clears throat> it's not what we're looking yeah. for. It's not what we're hoping for. Just as a casual fan, you would think, oh, my gosh, this looks so dangerous. But yet, you know, as you mentioned earlier in your show, when you talk about Coley Campbell and you, you make one rule and all of a sudden it opens up all these different things that you're unaware of or not prepared for. And I think of a conversation I had with somebody and I can't reveal who this was, but during the playoffs last year, when you'll remember this, Jeff, uh, Darcy Kemper got the stick through the eye. Now it turned out to be his own player. And then I was having this conversation with a league executive about, well, we've got to change this. We can't have the cat eye. And his exact words to me were, why are goalies so special that, that, you know, Everybody else can be prone to injuries depending on whatever might be happening on the ice. And, and, and all of a sudden, just because a goaltender might be slightly prone, that we're going to blow the whistle down every time. And I, I kind of go with that one also. Like, they're, you know, the goalies are protected well. Um, how much further do we want to go? I mean, if there's an imminent scoring chance, is that more important to the game? <clears throat> and it's a great conversation. I'm not saying I have the right answer. Mm. I'm just saying that this is going in a direction that you know, they've got to be very, very careful about what's happening. We also know Darcy Kemper lost his mask in the finals, and Tampa scored, and, and that was a good goal. Did Kemper? <clears throat> excuse me. Did Kemper complain? No, because he knew the rule. He he knew the language in the rule book, and that was a good goal. And so, <clears throat> this is just a. It's a, it's a really important conversation. I don't want to just gloss over and say, here's my thoughts and, you know, I'm the right guy and, and listen to me. Uh, this is a really important conversation, and it sh- but it should take some time to breathe and to try and figure this out. Further to your point from some of the conversations and comments you had uh, mm-hmm. on your show today, you know, okay, so now the goaltender is going to shake his mask off, and we know that will happen. We've seen that in the past. We and I, without naming names, I could go through a list of players or goaltenders, excuse me, that have uh, would shake their head and get their mask to uh, fall off, whistles blown, end of play. So we know that's that's important. That could happen. <clears throat> All sorts of things. We have to be very, very careful. Okay, let me. Here's here's let me let me let me lay something out here for you, Kelly, because you brought up some yep. really really good points there. So we hear a lot about how the NFL protects quarterbacks and we look Mm -hmm. at the success of the National Football League and how much of a great live event it is, how much of a great television event it is and the number of, you know, the most watched shows every week or all these, you know, NFL games. I think a lot of it is because quarterbacks are protected and can do their thing. It's one of the most important positions in not just all of football, but all of sports. 
and yep. the NFL has sort of dovetailed with that, protected them to make sure they can they, 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 they can handle their business. And when it comes to hockey, and we bring up the quarterback example, for whatever reason, we want to couch it in, well, too many people are taking runs at McDavid, or we need to protect the forwards. I always think of goaltenders. The one area that I look at that in hockey that most resembles what a quarterback does and occupies a unique position in the game is not forwards or defensemen, it's goaltenders. So my thought is, you know, whatever you can do to protect goalies, and I get the argument that they're always, you know, they're very well protected as it is right now. Yeah. Um, I, I still think we can we can protect them better. And to me, it's because as important a quarterback is to their football team, a goaltender in hockey is equally important to that squad. To the point where, and I was mentioning to Ellie, like I had Igor Shostrykin as my Hart Trophy number one last year on my ballot. By way yes, of the definition did. of what the Hart Trophy is, most valuable to his team, I could make the argument a goaltender should win every year. That it is the yep. it is it is the thing in hockey that it most resembles a quarterback in the NFL. That's whenever I hear about you know goaltender safety and protecting them, I always think to myself, think of what the NFL has done with quarterbacks, and shouldn't we be trying to do the same thing with goaltenders? Do you do you see that one, Kelly? Okay, I, I do think that the league recognizes that. And to that point, I know we kind of laugh at this, but how, how long ago was this comment that somebody said the game should be called goalie, not hockey? Because that's really what it is, I, right? It's Yeah, I think was that Ned, Hark, Ned Harkness in the 70s when he coached Detroit? I want to say like 76 or something like that. Right? And, and so that hasn't changed. It's been yeah. around for 100 years that that position is the most important. And if you have a good one, you have a chance to win. And so um, I get all that. And I, I do truly believe that the league really does try and protect the goaltenders. I mean, look at the rules and, you know, things in terms of uh, if the goal gets bumped, uh, does he have time to reset? Uh, all these little things that have taken place over the course of the last, say, 10 years or so where I do think that goaltenders are well protected. Um, you know, if you were to just throw in a VHS from my time, Jeff, and the goaltenders were not protected whatsoever, nothing. You, you Ooh, think of no. how a guy no. like Glenn Anderson, and he's in the Hockey Hall of Fame for good reason. He is a great player. But what did he do come barreling down on the off wing and he would at full speed just – run into the goaltender and hope that the puck followed. And and the goalie had no chance whatsoever of stopping the puck. And that was a good goal. You know, in today's game, nothing like that can happen. And so I, I know that's far-fetched, but mm. you get my point, that the goaltender is well-protected. Yeah. At what at what point, and again, I'll use that line that that executive sent me in that text, why are goalies so special? Now, you kind of make a great point because they're the equivalent of an NFL quarterback, and, and that is the answer. But you've got to go to the, you know, the goodness or the spirit of the game and what is the spirit of the game. And there should be some competitiveness in there. And for me, incidental contact, I'm fine with with a goaltender. Now, it can't be full on, yep. a full-on collision like Glenn Anderson, but a little incidental contact, I, I personally like that because then a goaltender has to fight through a little bit, and then it makes the game a little bit more competitive to me. Mm-hmm. So the the other issue, and I don't I don't disagree with that. I don't, I don't mind a little a little bit of bumping, but I always think, okay, the goaltender is preparing for a shot, not a hit. Like yeah, I, I'm with you. Sure. Like I remember all prone, those games, right? Kelly, like, during your career. 
Yeah, and I mean, like way back in the day, you remember, you know, Kevin Maguire running at Greg Stefan, and then it's like twenty oh, minute yeah. line brawls, and like it, it was, it was nuts. And you, you yeah. watched it, and, and lived and it. How, that was that was your and, era. Yeah, and how we used to hack and whack and and all that. And we don't want that anymore. We, you know, the odd little hack and you know a little exchange between a player and a goalie is okay. But man, that was vicious back then, and, and I'm glad that that's out of the game. When you look back at it, man, like it's uh, honestly, I watch those videos. I'm like, what, what were they thinking? Like, I'll watch you, Kelly. I'm like, what are they thinking out there? <laughs> are you Where are the police? Will someone please penalty? call the police? <laughs> Nothing. Oh, I know. Especially not in the playoffs. It's craziness. Oh, so right? the, the other one, the, the, the other is the pegs. And again, we strike the balance between, you know, performance and safety. You know, we don't want to go back to the Nets the way that they were, and we all think of the, the Mark Howe incident. We, no one wants to see oh, anything boy. resembling that or the broken nope. collarbones or shoulders as guys going. Yeah. We don't want to see that. But at the same time, given how goalies are playing now and what post-play is um, and how, like, listen, like, Mike McKenna was on with me in hour one, and Genie's out of the bottle, et cetera, right? Like, you're not going to go back. Like, this is how, this is how goalies play now. Um, that there needs to be technology that allows, A, for safety, for players that come barreling in, uh, either deliberately or inadvertently, but B, that allows goaltenders to use the posts to push off. And these guys are all 6'6", 230 pounds now, or 6'4", 215 pounds. I don't know if anyone has a solution. Kelly, do you have a solution, or maybe even just a thought on what we're seeing? Because we saw it last night, uh, again, in the Edmonton-Florida game with Spencer Knight. Yeah, I don't have a solution yet. Uh, uh, open ears trying to figure this one out because, yeah, something needs to be done. Um, and for all the points that you just mentioned, they play differently. They're big men. Uh, they push extremely hard, not only when they're pushing hard, but they're coming upwards uh, to guard against the yep. high short side goals or shots. That all makes sense to me. Uh, the only thing I would disagree with Mike, and I think he's fabulous, so I love listening to him on your show, uh, and you brought it up, That's I great. believe, uh, in the last commercial break, that what you have to guard against is goaltenders uh, pushing the net off on purpose on the penalty kill. That's an obvious one for me right now. Uh, it doesn't yeah. make a lot of sense in, in regular gameplay, but on the penalty kill, that would be the number one concern that I have that you can you can make it appear as though it's an accident. You catch an edge. You're stumbling a little bit. Oh, the net came off because I've noticed my penalty killers are on the ice for 42 seconds instead of the 25 to 35. That would be ideal. <laughs> and, and oh, yeah. yeah, by the way, it's a second period. We have a long change, and, and I can't have my penalty yep. killers stuck out there for a minute five or a minute 20 or whatever that number is. So that that is the one. Yep. So I would say they're – Maybe maybe the number's five percent where it is done on purpose, and and that's a clever play. But the the officials are all over that, right? They they usually go right to the goaltender because they know what's happening. They go, okay, you got your one. Don't do it again, or else uh, your team's going <laughs> to the penalty box. So those sort of situations. Yeah. But yeah, something has to be done. Goaltenders, for the most part, I don't believe are doing it on purpose. And by the way, I do like the rule uh, where if the net is off its moorings, but it's obvious like the Giordano goal, that should be allowed. Uh, That wasn't in place when I played, right? So when I played, you could knock the net off its moorings because you knew that uh, under no circumstance would a goal be allowed. That's not the case today. So for for most reasons, there's no purpose to knock the net off, right? 
Right. There's there's not. So let me let me finish with this question then. A, did you ever do that on purpose, and how many times, if so? Oh, I would definitely do it on purpose. So what was the old line? If you're not cheating, you're not trying hard enough to win. And so that go that, right. would, yes. that move would go under that category, right? Um, so definitely, if it was all situational, depending what was happening in the game, yeah. the score, who's on the ice for my team, who's on the ice for the other team. It's not on. It's not unlike Jeff, as you know. For two periods, for the most part, I used an, an illegal goalie stick. Why wouldn't you, right? If there's no threat well, in most cases of being caught, you 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 cheat for a slight advantage. And then in the third period, I'd use uh, a legal goalie stick, or for overtime, of course. And that is, and that used to be a thing too. Like you would have your first and second period sticks, and then the only time yes. you're going to get a challenge on a stick is going to be the third period. Like that made complete sense to me, Kelly. Like, okay, I'm going to have a cheater stick for the first two periods. Third period yes. is the only time a coach is going to call for a measurement. So I'll use my regular, yes. I'll use the, the normal legal stick. And the third, make total sense to everybody, I think. 100%. That's why in the game two of the 93 finals, I probably had the biggest smile on my face when I saw Kerry Fraser uh, after his discussion with Jacques Demers coming towards my end because I thought, fantastic. I've, uh, I've, the trick has finally worked. I had the illegal goalie sticks, you know, in the, in the, in the garbage pails, laying around the rink, hoping that some coach would look at it and go, "Oh, that's an illegal stick. We'll catch Rudy." And, and much to my surprise, they weren't checking my stick because it's legal. They went to Marty's, yeah. and we know the story. Yes. That uh, didn't work out so great. Boy, this was a fun conversation. I know you're excited for the day. I can't blame you. Excited for the game tonight, Calgary Flames and the Florida Panthers, the return of Matthew Kachuk. Thanks for this as always, Kelly. My pleasure, Jeff. Thanks for the invite, my friend. There he is, the great Kelly Rudy uh, from Hockey Night in Canada and the NHL on Sportsnet tonight, the Calgary Flames and the Florida Panthers. Thanks to Kelly for stopping by. Thanks to Peter Baugh for stopping by. Thanks to Mike McKenna and Elliot Friedman for stopping by. And thanks to you, most importantly, for stopping by the show today. Enjoy the games tonight. Uh, we're back on the air tomorrow, noon Eastern. Some beauties tonight. Pacific up for grabs, two and three. Central up for grabs, two and three. The Caps and the Canucks. It's a whole lot of goodness tonight around the NHL. Enjoy some, if not most, of it this evening. We'll talk to you tomorrow, noon Eastern. The Merrick Show returns across the Sportsnet Radio Network. Samuel Cast on Sportsnet now and Sportsnet 360. Have a great rest of your day.